Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and for this episode of the podcast, I am joined by Scott from the Suicide Squadcast to discuss Injustice 2, the origin of Supergirl. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, Scott. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. I'm so excited to be here. This is I feel like this has been kind of like a long time coming. I, I don't know. Like, we've been batting around this idea for so long, and we got you on the Suicide Squad cast. So I've, I have to admit, I've been like, so when do I get to go on your show? I've been kind of waiting. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's always an open invitation. If you ever see an episode and you're like, I want to come talk about it, or I have an idea for something... Uh, you can come in anytime. The door is open. But I'm so glad that you could come on for this episode because I know that you enjoy the topic that we are going to get into and uh, I could probably learn some things from you. So uh, I'm very excited to have you uh, to talk about the uh, the Injustice universe with me. So uh, we'll, we'll have to get into that in a second. But before we do, I thought it might be good to uh, talk about your history with the Supergirl character. I, I like to do that with guests when they come on for the first time, just to kind of know your background and kind of where, where your touchstone is with Kara. Uh, so, so what sort of, uh, what was the first time you saw Supergirl or got interested in the character? Um, it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation. I, I, I'm a little fuzzy on what came first. Uh, it was one of two things. I think it was probably the Helen Slater movie. Uh, I remember checking it out from the library and watching it because, you know, she had a Superman S on her chest. I mean, I'm going to watch that. But then at the same time, I, I'm not sure if it was the same time or a little bit later. Like I said, the details are fuzzy. But the death and return of Superman was a big deal right when I actually started, like, buying issues. And, you know, back in the days when you could get comics at grocery stores. And my mom would take me to the grocery store. And then I would just hang out in the comic book section while she did her shopping. And so for me in the comics, I didn't know who it was at the time. But so my first comic book version of Supergirl was the Matrix Supergirl. That was, you know, sleeping with Lex Luthor Jr. and could shapeshift. And I really didn't know what the heck was going on. I just knew <laughs> she was blonde and she was wearing the Supergirl outfit. And it wasn't until years later that I finally figured out. Well, I'm not even sure I still figure out what's going on with that Supergirl. But those are kind of like my first two. Like the Helen Slater movie and then Matrix Supergirl around the time of Death and Return of Superman. Yeah, that's a, that's a complicated version of uh, Supergirl. There's, there's two that really always kind of... Uh, uh, make me 
have to really dig into the characters. The Matrix Supergirl and the Linda Danvers version. Those are those those two are I always have to really do my research before I talk about them because <laughs> I, I do kind of get those uh, mixed up in my head. Well, technically, the Linda Danvers Supergirl is just a continuation of the Matrix Supergirl. So really, you're just talking about the same Supergirl in, in some form or fashion. So just one really super complicated version of Supergirl I have trouble with. Exactly. Um, but that's... <laughs> But that's uh, that's really interesting that you you came into it into the comic version uh, with the Matrix Supergirl, and uh, I, I love that you know people watched the Supergirl the movie. I know a lot of people make fun of it, but I watched it as a kid and enjoyed it, and uh, so it's good to uh, to hear that you you got that experience early on. Oh yeah, and then after that, of course, it was Superman the animated series, and you know that that's you know there's a lot of Superman that came from that show. At, at this point. So it's like it, that whole DC animated universe introduced me to a lot of characters that if it hadn't been for that series of shows, I probably would not be that familiar with today. It's true. They did cover a lot of ground and had a, especially in Justice League Unlimited, there are a lot of characters that get introduced. Uh, so I, I would agree. There's a lot of characters that I learned about through the DCAU. And it's a, it's a great way to, dip your toes into the the water as it were yeah well so we've we've talked a little bit about your supergirl history but uh i know that you are a big fan of injustice so uh in our previous supergirl radio episode we looked at the ways that the supergirl tv series explored the concept of justice so this time around to finish up our two-part series that we're doing here uh we decided to flip it around and talk about supergirl and injustice Ooh, dun, dun, dun. So, so we've got justice and injustice so uh, scott since you're a, a big fan of injustice um can you explain to our listeners who may not know what injustice and what the injustice universe is all about can you explain what it is it is basically a multiverse or elseworld story however you want to kind of view it it, it's based on a video game. It started off as a video game that then, before the video game came out, they decided to do a prequel comic book series. And in this universe, uh, five years in the past, the Joker tricked Superman into killing Lois Lane and their unborn child. And in the act of accidentally killing her, also set off a nuclear bomb that blew Metropolis away. And in reaction to that, Superman kills the Joker by literally punching through his chest, out the back. And then the rest of the story, which kind of takes place over five years leading up to the events of the video game, is showing Superman become a dictator and deciding that we've been going about this all wrong. We've let all these villains live. We've let all this crime happen. And it's kind of seeing the line divide where Batman's on the side of, dude, this isn't right. And Superman is just slowly growing more of becoming more of a evil dictator as the years go on. And then just kind of seeing the DC universe divide amongst the two sides of the regime and uh, the insurgency. So Batman leads the insurgency and Superman leads the regime. And... That leads up to the video game where Batman in this Injustice universe basically gets the Justice League from, you know, the normal universe and brings them over to kind of help him defeat the evil Superman. And that's, you know, in a gist, 
that's the story from the beginning to like the first video game. Yeah, the death of Lois and and even the the death of the Joker are pretty intense. I mean, it's it's intense stuff that that's going on in uh, the comic. I've read the first. Uh, I think it's called the complete first year. I've read that of uh, Injustice in the comic series. And the first time I'd actually heard about Injustice, the story, was actually after the first time I saw Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Because there were some guys who were sitting in my row and that we all got up to leave after the movie was over. And I heard them talking to each other and they not not in a weird like I was, you know listening in on their conversation just everybody was talking loud it wasn't being nosy uh but (laughs) they were saying something about the flash scene when he comes into the bat cave and you know it's like my one of my favorite moments in the movie he's like it's lois it's lois lane she's the key uh they were talking about that scene in the movie and about how the nightmare sequence was sort of injustice like and I was really curious about that. I was like, what are you talking about? It was the first time I ever heard the concept of Lois's death becoming the trigger for what makes Superman go bad, ultimately. And so I, I went home and did some research and got the comic. And so that was kind of my first uh, education on what the story was. And I, I didn't know that the, the comic and the video game were sort of connected how they were. So uh, that was sort of my introduction to it. Well, how, do, how actually, uh, Scott, now that I think about that, how did you get into Injustice? Were you just a, a big video game fan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I enjoy video games, but I will admit that most of the video games I buy tend to be the licensed games with these kind of characters in them. Because as I became a husband and a father, my gaming time... Um, shrunk dramatically <laughs> uh but uh, yes i had heard about the game coming out it's it is developed by netherrealm studios who is the same company that created mortal Kombat. so the idea of and i was you know and back in the 90s you know that was prime time for kids you know for when mortal Kombat came out and street fighter so i've always been kind of into those fighting style games and they did a Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe game. It wasn't that good, and pretty much any gamer will tell you that. But when I heard that they were coming out with a DC fighting game along the line, I mean, made by the same people who made Mortal Kombat, that it was going to be rated M for Mature, that it was, you know, it was going to be a full-blown, no-holds-bar fighting game, I was on that. And it, and it first came out for... You know, the last generation of systems like PlayStation 3, um, Xbox 360. So I had a PlayStation 3. And so I was following that. Like, I, that was something like I had it pre ordered at GameStop. I got the, I, I was getting all the collector's editions. You know, I, I was ready. And then I heard that they were releasing a digital first comic book series. And this was like months before the game came out. So it was kind of great timing that they dropped that series and it was weekly chapters like it still is today. And so I was reading like every Tuesday. I was reading an issue every week, you know, because I was just in that hype building up to the game. And then what happened is that they started doing it where like they would publish like every three digital chapters. They would release a physical issue. At my look at, at the comic book stores. So for year one of the injustice, I was actually buying the digital issues and buying the physical issues. You know, they were they were getting double money out of me, and then I I stopped doing that. And by year two, I was just picking up the 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 print issues. 
but then ironically, and this is kind of a funny story, the game came out the day after my first son was born. So I literally was there the day my son was born on a Monday, spent the night, my father-in-law came over to give me a break from the hospital, and on my way to my in-law's house to take a shower and get a couple of you know Zs, um, I did stop by GameStop at, and waited like <laughs> for them to open so I could pick up my copy, even though I wasn't going to be able to play it for a week. I wanted to have it, and it literally stayed in the trunk of our car the whole week we were at the hospital. And then when we brought our son home, I, I started playing it. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Well, I mean, you had to get it sometime. I'm uh, just saying. Why not then? W- hey, w- <laughs> the one chance I have that I'm allowed to be away from the hospital, why not? Sometimes you have to run errands. Uh, so so you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's a very funny story. And uh, I think that it's good that you do have your priorities straight. You did spend your time in the hospital and the game came later, even if you picked it up then. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Well, so speaking of the game and the comic, I, I was curious, since I don't play the game, did reading the comic spoil things for you when you first started playing, like in the first Injustice? Uh, was it spoilery, or did you just uh, kind of find the end of the game while you were playing it? It doesn't really spoil anything except for the first, like, cinematic in the game, really is just like the third digital issue, like the death of the Joker. Like, so I'd already read that before I saw it in the game, but. They kind of talk about things in the game that if you had read the comic, you already knew the full story. So it didn't spoil anything. It really just kind of it, it added more to what you were to what you were playing. Like you already knew some things, but there were twists in the game that oh no, you, the comic never spoiled it for you. But you just oh, there there's some things that you read the comic and then you would play the game and you go, wait a minute, something isn't right here because something happened here and I don't understand what's going on here. And then it was great because then it happened in the game and I was still surprised. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be coy because I, I hate spoilers and, I, and even though this thing is like four years old, I still feel like I should be somewhat respectful to someone who might just be getting interested in injustice. So I will leave it there. That's fair enough. I, I, I was sort of debating on how much we would talk about injustice too because I was a little uh, afraid to get into spoiler territory. So we'll, we'll try to, when we talk about injustice too, we'll, we'll keep it at the basic level um, because I know that right now they, they do have issues coming out for Injustice 2, and and the game is out, yes? Yes, oh yeah, the game has been out since May. So there is some spoiler territory with the game. But so we, we've talked a little bit about the basics of Injustice in the Injustice universe, um, but we should probably get into Injustice 2 because that's relevant to my interests for this podcast um, because Supergirl, uh, as far as I understand, uh, only made her first appearance in Injustice 2. Is that correct? That is correct. And I will tell you, she is like in my top three of playable characters in the game. She is fantastic. Her power set is awesome. 
Oh, really? So is there um, is there any kind of special move that she does or you know, wh- what's what's cool about playing with Supergirl? Well, you get she has a really awesome auxiliary power for the heat ray vision where you can do like a short burst or you can do like a walking like you just fire it and you're just walking at the person while you're just burning them with your heat ray vision that even Superman doesn't get that cool level of a power. So I really love her use of heat ray vision. And then all of these characters have like a super move that you can build up your super meter and she does something where she flies you into space uh, uh, flies you around the sun throws you into an asteroid hits you with your heat vision and basically you fly with the heat vision and a whole uh, whole meteor shower into the earth and that's her super move that, that, that's that sounds right. <laughs> that lines up. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I'll have to look into that and see if I can uh, find some video of that, uh, just because that sounds pretty awesome. Oh, you can definitely find just the search up like uh, Supergirl gameplay when they when they were announcing the characters leading up to the game. They always play like around, and part of the character reveal is they usually end by showing you their super move. Go to YouTube; it's there. You will get a blast out of it. No pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, so we talked a little bit about the game, but with Injustice 2 and now that they are putting out the digital comics, which I, I guess is still a digital comic, are they, do they have print versions as well? Basically, they usually publish like two weekly digital issues, and then those two digital issues get published as one print issue. Gotcha, gotcha. So they they put out an origin story for Supergirl with the game, and now they've actually uh, officially uh, published the Supergirl origin comic story in the Injustice 2 comics. So I thought it might be uh, pretty fun for us to talk about Injustice 2 number 11. This is the first time she appears in the Injustice uh, universe in the comics and uh so th- there's a I, I know of at least one other issue that she's in i haven't fully read all of it uh but we're just going to talk about the origin story that uh that they have in injustice and so we're going to be talking about injustice 2 number 11 it was written by tom taylor uh with art by mike s miller and the description for this issue reads quote supergirl finally enters the world of injustice witness her origin on krypton the planet's tragic fall and learn just who will be her guide on Earth, unquote. So uh, this was pretty exciting for me because I had not, like I said, not played the game, but I had read the comic, the some of the Injustice comics, so it was nice to kind of get back into the Injustice comic book universe. So, Scott, what did you think about uh, this take on Supergirl's origin? I really liked it because... This is not a spoiler, but th- the big bad of Injustice 2 is Brainiac. I mean, he's the guy that, like, everyone's fighting. And I just love reading this and seeing how, really, the destruction of Krypton in this universe is blamed on Brainiac. Like, the planet just didn't blow up by itself. Like, Brainiac really kind of caused the the planet to explode. And so Kara's relationship with Brainiac is very reminiscent of the... Jeff Johns' Brainiac story from Action Comics, uh, you know, that he, that Jeff Johns did with Gary Frank, and they even turned it into the uh, Superman Unbound animated movie. Right. And that reaction that Kara has to Brainiac and that, and that sheer terror, 
I felt like that was some inspiration for her character and kind of how her origin in this universe is tied directly with Brainiac. And I, I just felt like that they were soulmates in a way of those two kind of stories. Yeah, I really like it when comic stories or movies or whatever, uh, even a little bit on Smallville, they sort of played up the uh, Kara Brainiac stuff a little bit there, I think, at the end of season seven. So some of that is 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 around, uh, has been in previous versions where Supergirl and Brainiac have a connection. And I really like that personally, just because um, I like the idea that Brainiac has taken, almost like he's he's literally taken her home from her in some respects. Um, and I, I was really actually surprised to see the Brainiac connection in this comic, but I thought it made sense. I mean, normally with the destruction of Krypton, they do have, I guess, an excuse of, well, the, the core of the planet is is messed up and it's it's going to um, cause the destruction of the entire planet. And so there's usually that whole destabilization of the core thing there in the story. But this version I thought was very unique in that Brainiac was responsible for that destabilization. Uh, so I actually thought that was pretty clever and I, I like that a lot. And so I, I like it when Supergirl has to go up against Brainiac because he does instill some fear in her and a lot of incarnations. And so I thought it was a good use of him here. Um, we get to see Kara interact with her father and her uncle. What did you think about getting to see, like we, we talked about the destruction of the planet, but there were some happy times <laughs> in this issue. So briefly. They were brief, but she, she had some good uh, family moments in this issue. So what did you think about getting to see her hang out with her uh, her dad and her uncle. I liked it because I always, I'm always more appreciative of versions of the Superman story that show Krypton like real people that, you know, that the, the L's were a very loving family. So you can kind of see where Kal-El and Kara come from. Like, like it wasn't, you know, it's not, I mean, yeah, the Kents have a lot to do with it, but I, I like it when the L's are still kind of a, nurturing presence in Superman lore, you know, less Superman, the movie with, you know, the cold eye stuff, more kind of like what you saw in Superman, the animated series where they love each other and they're smart. And I, it also reminded me of, um, there's a great novel I love called Kevin uh, by Kevin J. Anderson called the last days of Krypton. And it's all about the L's. I mean, mm. it, it's just about the parents and, Zorel and Alora. And so I always like it when they are very much they they feel like real people. And so in this comic you get that. But you also get them not just being scientists, but they've got armor and they've got the guns. And so they're there and they're kicking butt and you know they're you know it, they're fully rounded characters and you see Kara and you see how loving she is and in a way it's also kind of bittersweet since you know what's going on with Superman, you're just like Mm, what's she going to think when she gets to Earth? <laughs> she's not showing up until after regime Superman. Like, she doesn't get there until after he go bad. Right. So it's nice to know that it, you can see the dramatic tension that's already building up because they are such a loving family on Krypton. You talked about the uh, the aspect of her coming to Earth and finding out that her cousin is this like I don't know evil overlord. What would I don't know what else dictator? Um, but she is the character who 
uh, retains a little bit about, uh, retains a little optimism, I guess, and retains a little bit of that goodness of her family. And uh, so, yeah, it is a a probably, it probably is a very uh, striking bit of information to learn because she is the one who is entrusted to protect him. And uh, so I, I don't know how much guilt she might feel if she gets to Earth and she's like, well, I kind of failed in my mission because he's terrible now. Well, no, I, I'm going to give Kara a pass, and this isn't big spoilers, but she gets lied to pretty heavily. Oh. So she is, she's all about helping out. She's all about helping out Cal because she kind of gets the, she gets, and we can talk about this towards the end of this issue, but she gets kind of a propaganda twist. So that's kind of her, what you're talking about is more her journey in the game itself because she's all on board the, the, the cow train because of the, the version of events she gets fed. Right, right. So, like, if you're presented a, a certain spin on the information, you might think differently. Yeah, totally, totally. And I like what you said about the L's being a, a bit of a happy family in some versions, and I really liked that about this issue. It was neat for me because I, I think it's... I've never seen this in any story or uh, that I've read or, or seen, but the, the brothers actually act like brothers and they care about each other as brothers. They, um, they talk about how, you know, they pick on each other and there's a really tragic moment in, in this issue where Zorel gets stabbed in the back and he dies. And there's a, there's a really uh, poignant page where, Jor-El is holding his his brother's dead body, and he says, um, he says, it's all right, you go ahead, I'll be right behind you. And like Jor-El knows that he's going to die. And so it, they, they, he, he sort of makes peace with that. And I just, I really liked that, that it, even though it was really sad, they got to have like a goodbye for those brothers. And I thought that that was really nice. But you do get to see Zorel, you get to see Alora, you get to see Jorel in this, and so I, I really liked getting to see a lot more of their family dynamics and what that would look like. And and they do, they do. I think in this issue, feel like real people, like real brothers. Uh, like Carr has a you know a, a, a I guess a decent relationship with them. That they're going out and teaching her how to fly and all this kind of stuff. So I really did like the familial aspect of. Uh, this issue, and I think that's probably pretty important for the game and the comic of Injustice. I would I would think that Kara has an emphasis on family because of what has happened to Cal. Um, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that I, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves? Um, but I, I wonder, uh, as, especially as I was reading, could she be the one to pull Cal or Clark or Superman? back over to the good side. I know the answer to that question because uh, that's addressed in the game. But it is definitely, it is part of her character arc uh, throughout the game that that is, you know, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say she learns some things about her cousin she's not particularly proud of. And that becomes very much part of her character is trying to save Cal's soul. Mm. First, it's about trying to stop Brainiac, but at the same time, it's like she she starts to see what her cousin has become, and she feels like it's her responsibility to save him from himself. Since we, we talked a little bit about Krypton and, and some of the things that were there, but I, I thought we might talk about the 
the art about what Krypton looked like. And because uh, for most of the issue, it is taking place on Krypton. She hasn't exactly gotten to Earth just yet. This is the origin. This is Krypton's destruction. So I was curious, Scott, what, what did you think about the way Krypton looked? Uh, you know, sort of the the clothing they wore. Did, did you have any feelings about Krypton? I always like it when Krypton is red. Because it is a red sun, uh, so I always think that makes sense. Uh, the little bug they're flying, I did feel a little. I did feel a little um, DCEU Man of Steel mm-hmm, a vibe mm-hmm. going on through Krypton. Like they they've got the armor, the pistols, the the pistols and the rifles they're carrying remind me of the way they kind of looked in Man of Steel. So it, I felt like it had a very Man of Steel Krypton esque feel, but with kind of a red a red filter over everything, which. I always think helps because it just reminds you it, it, it gives it an alien look and they are under a red sun. So, you know, that's going to color the backgrounds around you. And so I, I have to admit that was the thought. I was like, hmm, somebody watched Man of Steel a little bit when they were drawing Krypton. <laughs> yeah, I had very similar thoughts. Uh, the the armor especially stu- stuck out. It looked very much like uh, General Zod and, and Feora's armor. And even Jor-El had a little bit of armor there on uh, Krypton in the beginning of Man of Steel. The armor, the glyphs, um, the the beast that they ride on when they fly uh, looked very much like Haraka from Man of Steel, I believe is the name of that uh, the, the, the beast or the animal that Jor-El uh, rides in that movie. So yeah, there were a lot of uh, nods, I thought, to Man of Steel, which I thought was cool because Man of Steel's Krypton is one of my favorite versions of Krypton. So I, I really liked seeing that. I will also say that the way that Brainiac's uh, robots are drawn is just creepy as all get out. I'm, I'm just going to say I, I, it, it gives me chills a little bit the way that Br- Brainiac is definitely menacing and a frightening threat in this issue. Menacing robots are something I'm not real thrilled with. I I, I, uh, I get a little scared with, with some of those kinds of robots. And, and th- these especially are terrifying because they have things that can come out of their hands and they sort of look like skeletons a little bit. So yeah, they're very scary. And there's, there's one page in particular, uh, let's see, which page is this? 15. Uh, when they're one of them, I, I don't know what they're called. I guess Brainiac robots. I'm going with Brainiac robots. I don't know if there's an official name. Yeah. So there's there's a page in one of the panels. Uh, it's attacking Kara, and it just looks it looks really scary because uh, she's on Krypton, so she doesn't have the ability to uh, kind of take those attacks physically so she could genuinely get hurt there so yeah the brainiac robot is very uh, very scary and very threatening uh, which i think is great i think you have to have uh, a reason to usher kara off of krypton and and get her into that pod or into that ship to get her out there with cal so i i think that was a great use of it and since we've kind of already talked a little bit about the art what, what did you think about uh any of the other art in this in this issue? Well, it's Mark. It's Mark. At, well, I'm sorry, it's not Mark. It's Mike S. Miller, if I'm being correct here. Um, he's been around since the third digital chapter of the beginning. Like he's been an artist on Injustice. I mean, since the very first arc of Injustice at all back in 2013. So he's one of my favorites. Like sometimes the art isn't the best. Depending on because because they're weekly chapters, so they so almost every chapter you get different art, 
And so, but he's one of those that's that's been consistent for the last four years. So when I see that he's the artist on the book or on an issue, I'm going yes. This is this is gonna this one's gonna look good. Yeah, his his stuff is really good. I think one of the strong things about Injustice that I've recognized when I read it from the little bit I've read, because I know there's probably more stuff out there that I haven't read, but what what one of the things I really do like about Injustice is the way it looks, the way costumes are designed and the way um, all of the art and the panels look uh, it's it's just I think it's top notch uh, and especially in this issue uh, I really thought all the colors were really nice the colors on the opening page uh, with Krypton it just it's so beautiful it makes me think about all of those pictures that I've seen of space and how how glorious you know planets and stars look in space and so I think that uh, the, the capturing of the way space uh, looks, I think, really uh, was nailed down on that first page. Um, superficially, I really like the outfit that Kara has on, the Kryptonian outfit that she's wearing. So um, the the designs of of Kara's attire in this issue, I think, is really cool. Um, I also there's one panel where there's an extreme close up of Kara's eyes with uh, Krypton in them. Yes, I thought that was a really cool choice. That's a very artistic choice and almost cinematic. I would say. Um, so I really, really liked that. And uh, so I, I do think that the art uh, specifically, because there's only so many pages that you can use for something like this to tell an origin story. So sometimes I think writers might depend on the artist to kind of uh, f- flesh out that uh, that environment and the characters and kind of what they're going through. And I, I think the art in this issue specifically does a really good job of establishing what this version of Krypton is like, like you said, like with the technology, with the clothing, um, with everything that's going on around them. I think I, I can see more of Krypton just by what the art looks like instead of them having to, you know, do some sort of exposition dump, they can just uh, use the art to speak for it. I think another thing to remember is that because it's being released first digitally, the amount of, of art that you see on one page of your iPad or your tablet is only half a page of a print comic. So I think you almost have to use the art because you literally have half the page to work with. And that also means that a digital issue is only you know, from start to finish, only half the length of a normal print comic book. So you're having to tell a lot of story in a very condensed amount of time and keeping in mind that the that the page swipes on an iPad are, you know, every two page swipes is actually only one flipping of a physical page. And I think that really makes the art, like, you really have to... You have to tell a lot with a little because you have less room to work with. Yeah, definitely. You ha- you have to really capture those moments and those those uh, and and this is an emotionally uh, driven issue for Kara, especially like her planets under attack. She has to say goodbye to her family. One of the things I didn't like about this issue, just because of the the time crunch, is that Kara doesn't really get any time to say goodbye to her mother. And I, I wish that they had given them a moment uh, to say goodbye to each other. But, you know, I guess I can go with, oh, well, the planet's caving in on itself. I, I guess they just they have to go. Well, you also have all those Brainiac robots like they're right behind. I mean, I, I just have they don't show it, but I just have this feeling like 
Alora slaps that pod closed, and she's a and like by the time the ship's rocketing off, that Brainiac robot's got her. I mean, I, I just have the feeling like she's gone before the planet goes. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 tough because I know that there's a lot of chaos there, but I'm like, please, just we could have just had one little moment with Kara and her mother. That would have been great. Uh, but I can understand that if you wanted to make that choice where, hey, chaos is is raining down on Krypton right now, uh, I can go with it. I can go with it. This entire story right here gets retold as the opening cinematic of the game. So the game even puts a giant emphasis on Kara and her story. Because as soon as you start seeing like the Brainiac robots, like that's that's the first thing you watch in the game. So it's really kind of cool that even the game has put such an emphasis on Kara, and in like in just their entire structure of the story they're telling. That's interesting to know because I wonder if the Injustice Two comics will follow along the same. Uh, path do the comics and the video games uh or at least the the first one did it did it line up for the most part did, was there were there things in the the game that weren't in the comic or or did they sort of match up a little bit well the comic uh both the inju- for the both the the first injustice comic and this series injustice 2 are always prequels so in the in the first injustice game all the events that the comic is telling. That's the reason that the comics are called Year One, Year Two, Year Three, because the video game takes place five years after Superman kills the Joker. So the comic had a little bit of uh, leeway because it's telling the five years leading up to the game, and the comic ends right before the game begins. So you're you're. The only thing the writers had to worry about was making sure that characters that are not around in the game, that you explain why they're not around. <laughs> and and uh, I don't want to give anything away there. But you know that's the only kind of thing you really have to worry about. And then with Injustice 2, the game, the comic book is telling the story between Game 1 and Game 2. Because there is a period of time. And actually... This is the funny thing. There's parts of the Injustice 2 game that if you haven't read the comic, you're kind of going, huh? Like, it actually benefits you in the Injustice 2 game to have read the comics because there's stuff that you just know more about or there's there's stuff that, like, the game either just gives you, like, a one line of dialogue and you just have to go with it or you're just kind of lost if you haven't read the comic. But if you read the comic, then... You're just going along with um, you're just going around with the story of the game. Uh, there is actually, ironically, in Injustice Two, there's a little flashback sequence that's kind of like the in video games. There's always a section where they like make you, make you learn how the controls work, and there is a couple of moments at the beginning of the Injustice Two game that contradict what happened in the original Injustice uh, comic book series. So that was just a little. Somebody needed to read the comic because, <laughs> because it kind of bothered me because one character meets his demise in the game that, no, he kind of still needs to be around. And then events that the event that they're depicting in the game actually happened in the comic, but it doesn't happen the same way. And so for a continuity nerd like me, it kind of 
bug me, but I just kind of went, eh, get over yourself, play the game. Yeah, I can see that being kind of frustrating. And I was curious, like, for me, I, I don't play the game, but if I read the comic, would I still kind of get the gist of the story, do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you read the first series, I mean, you're, you're reading something before the game, because so you're you're free to just enjoy a cool multiverse Elseworld story, because by the time you get to the game, the comic book series is over. Uh, reading Injustice 2, I think they give you enough. I mean, there are certain details that you're going to miss out on because you haven't played the game. But I think someone asked me, uh, one of one of the listeners for the Suicide Squadcast uh, tweeted me. was like, hey, can I just pick up Injustice 2? And I'm like, it's like comic books. You know you're missing stuff. And you just kind of roll with it. And the writer will fill you in here and there. And, you know, just Google anything else that you're, you know, confused about. <laughs> that, that read a synopsis of what happened in the game and you're good to go for injustice 2 is my opinion that sounds an awful lot like how i watch soap operas <laughs> i can handle that if there if there's some some storyline i missed from like 1985 i'll just google it figure out what happened to nikki newman then i'll i'll, I'll connect the dots later so that that seems like that would that would line up for me i think i could handle that can I ask you one question, Rebecca? Because I'm very curious about your take on something. Sure. What do you think of Supergirl's costume in the Injustice universe? I actually, I've seen a little bit of video and some some pictures, and I really like it. I think it's pretty cool. I I know if I'm if if I'm remembering correctly, she has the S on the back of the cape. Is that correct? Um, I know she has the the blue pants on, um, but I I I thought I think she looks pretty cool. Um, I. I know that it's a departure from the skirt that's traditionally uh, used with Supergirl, but I don't mind it too much. Um, but I, I think she she looks cool, and uh, the story the story is is good uh, as far as I know of it. So I'm 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 on board. You know, different people have different opinions because Injustice does uh, redesign all the costumes. Like characters tend to look. Uh, very different. And then, of course, with Injustice 2, the video game, they have this gear system where you can actually customize the look of the character oh. as you earn different gear throughout the game. So you can actually change the color of the costumes. You can change, you know, different pieces, and you can make them look completely different because different costume pieces give you different abilities in the game. Like it powers you up in some ways or depowers you in other ways. And so you start off with the basic look, but then you can kind of customize as you play. That's really cool. That is pretty neat. I'm I'm now very curious as to how that works, especially with Supergirl. I have seen that Superman has like a weird, like not a helmet, but he has a thing around his chin. And I'm like, why does he need that? What What is that there for? It's not like he's he has a cowl or anything. Um, so I, I do question other character designs <laughs> in Injustice, um, but I, I like Supergirls. I, I think it looks cool, and I think it's a it's a it's a different take that I think works for her, and especially how it's tied into like for example with Injustice Two number eleven in the comic issue, she has on Krypton she has the the pants and the the short sleeve shirt on uh in in her sort of daily kryptonian uh attire she is wearing that and so in the game i think that's similar to how her supergirl suit is she's got the pants and the short sleeve uh top of it so i think that the fact that they connect it to her kryptonian 
heritage, I like I like that a lot. I, I like it when they they make a reason for the costume to work because that's what she was used to at home. So I think that is really cool. Awesome. Well, um, Scott, in terms of this issue uh, in this origin of Supergirl, what what are your overall thoughts? Do you do you think it was a good rendition of her leaving Krypton? I think so because it's a very dark rendition, and since the whole point of Injustice as a universe is. Let's see what happens when the you-know-what hits the fan in the DC universe. So it kind of works that everyone just gets – their stories just get a shade darker. And so I feel like to give her an even more dark, tragic version of the destruction of Krypton where it's it's war when she leaves. And then the fact that then the thing that destroyed her home – then shows up again in the in the story of the game to become a threat on her new uh, home world. I think that just adds a lot more to her character and and just adds to the overall darkness of you know injustice in general. I mean, it's called injustice. It's not going to be puppy dogs and rainbows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with Krypton's destruction, and and I say this all the time about Supergirl's origin is that she has a much more tragic uh, past than Superman does. You know, Superman, Clark, Cal, whatever you want to call him, he's just a baby when he leaves Krypton. But Kara is oftentimes either a teenager or a grown woman when she leaves Krypton. And when she leaves Krypton, it is in a hurry because the planet is about to go. She has to leave her family and all of... Her, her friends and her culture, she has to leave all of that behind. And that is a tragic thing. That is a really sad story. Um, so I do think that they captured uh, the essence of her origin. And I, I think putting the, the Brainiac thing in there was a, a nice little twist on what I know about the origin. So I, I, I thought it was good. I, th- I thought the way that they presented it was awesome. And I kind of want to read some more. I want to see what happens because at the end of this issue... Uh, there's a little tease of a, a certain guy from uh, Kondok, uh, who is a magical uh, anti-hero um, villain. Maybe, mm, maybe. I don't know how you would classify him. So uh, I'm very curious how that uh, <laughs> will develop. So I may keep on reading because uh, I think they've got me gotten me hooked. I might I might not be a game player. Uh, but I'm a comic book reader, so they may have a real man a little, <laughs> a little bit with this issue. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for our discussion about the origin of Supergirl from Injustice 2, uh, specifically number 11. Uh, but before we close out this episode, uh, I have an email from a listener named Leslie who asks this question. Quote, do we think painting is one of Kara's hobbies? I've seen so many half-done paintings and easels around her apartment. Is If she is an artist, how cool would it be to see her painting? Unquote. So Scott, Leslie is talking about of course, the Supergirl TV series and Melissa Benoist's Supergirl. And uh, so have you have you noticed that uh, Kara paints and has ha, sometimes has an easel in her apartment? What, what do you think about that? I am ashamed to say that that detail completely went over my head. I, I now have to go back and rewatch episodes of the show to, to notice that because it didn't it, I was oblivious to it. Do you think that Kara would use her abilities? To paint, do you think she's a fast painter? I would hope not. You know, 
I feel like maybe she would try and then she'd get frustrated, especially the way the car is depicted on the show. She tends to get frustrated a lot. So um, I would hope that maybe that is something that, you know, maybe Jeremiah maybe taught her in sort of that, you know, let's be normal kind of mentality of to make her slow down, kind of like a sort of like a meditation type of technique of this is going to force you to move at a human pace. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if uh, if she screwed something up in the painting, there's probably a, a few uh, uh, like a canvas somewhere in the in the back of her closet that has you know, two two burn marks uh, through the canvas where she got upset with herself. Uh, so that that could be really funny. But yeah, I have noticed that once or twice, I think there's been some sort of easel uh art artist stuff in her in her apartment so i think that would be a nice way to connect to her trying to be human i think the the jeremiah aspect of that would be a or eliza one of them could have maybe introduced her to some sort of artistic pursuit so i i would love to know more about Kara. like i know i know we we see her in the Supergirl suit and she's going out to save, you know, going out and saving the day, saving the world and doing her thing at CatCo. But I, I'm more interested in a lot of ways about seeing what Kara does at home. And, you know, that was something I missed from season two. You know, season one, I loved Sister Night. And so, you know, this would be kind of a way to connect back to Kara in her in her sort of what she does on her own time kind of thing that. I felt was missing in season two and I really missed from season one. And so if they could bring that back, I would love that. Yeah, I, I want to see uh, Kara doing some painting around her house. Uh, and I, I just wanted to note that our listener, Leslie, who asked us that question, has a website called Striped designs.com that's s-t-r-i-p-e-d-d-e-s-i-g-n-s.com and i think leslie wanted to ask that question because she is an artist herself uh and she actually sent us this awesome artwork that she did of uh, a pelican on top of a trash dump and asking who's asking the question seriously though what about me uh, because it is a, uh, a throwback to when Kara was assigned the story about covering the pelicans in the trash dump, and she totally, <laughs> she totally failed to report the story and save the pelicans, uh, which we sort of brag on uh, Kara all the time here about that on Supergirl Radio. So <laughs> it's nice to see fan art about the pelicans. We're always thinking about the pelicans. Uh, so Leslie, thank you for sending that, and thank you for asking the question. It's a good question. So uh, that's it for our feedback, and uh, that's kind of going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. So thank you so much, Scott, for jumping in and teaching me some things about injustice and kind of going over that and and talking about Supergirl with me. Uh, So thanks for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Where can uh, the listeners of Supergirl Radio find you and the Suicide Squad cast on the internet? Well, you can find me personally um, at ScottDC27. Yes, that's a Batman reference. Uh, on on Twitter. Uh, You can also find the show um, at Suicide Squadcast on Twitter. We also have a Facebook group and a YouTube page and a website, www.suicidesquadcast.com. You can find the Suicide Squadcast and our networks of shows, including DC Comics Squadcast and Fans Without Borders, because 
hashtag it's okay to like them all. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend the Suicide Squad cast and everything that they are doing with their network. You guys do a great rundown for, for DCEU news. That's, that's where I get all of my news. I, I like listening to y'all's show because I try to not stress out about all of the the clickbaity type articles that show up on the internet. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. And you and Tim do a really good job of sort of weeding out the stuff that you don't you don't really need to pay attention to and just kind of getting to the facts. So I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you. You have been a wonderful advocate for the DCEU, which is how we got connected on the interwebs. And um, thank you. It, it really it really means a lot that we can help people, especially, I know, I know when you have to go on your Twitter hiatuses, I know sometimes you need to know the news, but you don't want to find out through Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Sometimes I'm just like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with the internet for this week. Uh, but, but you guys over at the Suicide Squad cast, uh, kind of help me, help me out with that and kind of handle that for me. So you and, you and Tim do a great job and it's a, it's a fun listen. In, in addition to the news, you, you and Tim, uh, do a really great podcast over there. And I highly recommend all of our listeners going to check it out if you are a big fan of the DCEU. Well, if you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can find our website at supergirlradio.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do that at 678-718-7252. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can find us on Google Play and iHeartRadio. We also have a playlist on Spotify. So if you're into music and music from the show, music about Supergirl, music related to Supergirl, we've got every kind of song you can think of on the Spotify playlist. So definitely check that out. And we are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com forward slash DC dash fans. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. So uh, if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review over there. And like Scott talked about with the Suicide Squad cast network, we are part of a network called the DC TV podcast network. And I'm going to have to do some breathing exercises because this is what Morgan usually does. And I'm not as good <laughs> at it. So if you would like to, uh, it, it, so if you like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, DC Films, classic D- DC TV shows, and the upcoming Black Lightning, Krypton, and Titan shows, you can scri- subscribe. Ugh, subscribe that is a hard word to say to our dc tv podcast mega feed on itunes and you can follow dc tv podcast on twitter and like dc tv podcast on facebook i heard a little bit from the uh the grapevine known as andy b from the flash podcast that our mega feed might be having some issues so if you do subscribe and you see uh something wonky going over there let us know uh but that's a good way to get all of our podcasts all in one feed uh but we've got a lot of shows that we cover and so i just want to make you aware of that and if you want to follow me like scott said i am on twitter at derby kid that's d-e-r-b-y-k-i-d but i am trying to take a break it's really hard sometimes because either people will message me or uh i i do promote supergirl radio i'm just i'm trying not to like spend all of my time on twitter because that has happened to me before i i will be on twitter and like three hours have passed and i'm like what have i been doing with my life uh, so that's that's what I'm trying to take a break on. Uh, but you can still message me and find me over at uh, Twitter at 
Derby Kid, D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. I'm also on Instagram at The Derby Kid. That's T-H-E-D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. I try to practice some photography over there. And you can see videos of mine over at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And since we talked about justice and injustice, uh, you can actually check out a uh, an essay that I wrote about superhero justice in uh, a book that it's a compila- compilation of essays about superhero justice called Humans and Paragons, Essays on Superhero Justice. So you can find that uh, on Amazon. Uh, So until next time on Supergirl Radio, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And remember that learning to fly isn't supposed to be easy, but it's worth it. (laughs) 